This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. How can AI solve your business challenges? What's the best way to lead a new sustainability strategy? Staying ahead in your career isn't about knowing the answers, it's about finding them. Learn how to find the answers you need by studying online with London Business School's world-class faculty and industry experts. Search LBS online today. BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts. Hello, this Moneybox Live podcast is a toolkit for anyone planning to start a new business or anyone who's started one but might need a helping hand. And you don't even need to step into the den with a killer pitch because we've borrowed a dragon for you. Lots of people are going to have great ideas, but they have absolutely no way of delivering them. You've got to be able to show why you... Yes, entrepreneur and investor Deborah Meaden is on the show. So do you dream of quitting and going it alone? Plenty of people do. Despite the pretty tough financial climate just now, the freelancer organisation Ipsy says it's seen a January jump in people accessing its self-employment advice. In fact, the number of people working for themselves is starting to slowly climb after a big drop during the pandemic. And it's the over 50s leading the way. The number of self-employed business owners aged 50 rose to 1.1 million last year. Plus, if you're running your own business, you're also sorting your own taxes. So we will be answering your self-assessment questions. Right. Before we take some calls, I thought we should get some business advice straight from the horse's mouth, or in this case, the dragon's mouth. Here's what Deborah Meaden from Dragon's Den has to say about starting up a business this year. Lots of people are going to have great ideas, um, but they have absolutely no way of delivering them. And, um, And when you come into Dragon's Den or when you're seeking any business investment, you've got to be able to show why you... It takes more than a good idea, doesn't it? How do you turn that into a business? How do you become someone who goes from I reckon to I'm doing? That's a really interesting one because um, that is the difference. That what That's what makes an entrepreneur, you know, as you say, a lot of people have great ideas, um, but it stays on their sofa or it stays in their head. Um, what entrepreneurs do is that they take the first steps. And I always say, you know, it's funny when you take the first step, then, then the next step comes and the next step comes. But entrepreneurs actually do something about it. Now, what that something is can be very, very different for different entrepreneurs. It might just be that they go and speak to somebody about it and say, look, I don't, this is my idea. I don't know how to do it. Can I partner with you? It might be that they've got the skills to do it themselves, but they do something. Lots of people, particularly these days, perhaps start their business as a bit of a side hustle. Do you see more of that? I I definitely see more side hustles going on now. And I think that's for many reasons. I think people are very cautious at the moment and they have reason to be. You know, it's it's a funny old world out there. Um, So I think sort of the days of saying, well, I'm going to chuck everything in and I'm going to give it a go. You know, that still happens, but I think it happens less. What's the stage at which you can, you should, you can have faith in turning your side hustle into a full-time job, something that you're really betting the farm on? It's very different for different people. If I'm a young startup, I've got no dependents, I don't have a mortgage, you know, my risk, of course, it's the same risk, 
but the effect on me if it went wrong would probably be less than if I have you know, children to support and a mortgage to support. But to be a little bit more helpful than that, I think it's when businesses start to begin to have a life of their own. So I describe businesses, it's like it's like having, I haven't had children, but it feels to me like having children. When, they, when they're babies and toddlers, you've got to go wander around and make sure that they're still standing, they're still walking, they're being fed. and they're, But there becomes a moment when they get a life of their own. You know, they start the business, just the engine, just, starts ticking over without you having to feed it all the time. Um, and I think that's the moment you can start thinking to yourself, actually, maybe this is time to jump. I'm sure there's a comparison about sleepless nights there as well. Um, <laughs> well, that's very true. <laughs> Do people pitch at you all the time everywhere you go? <laughs> uh, pretty much. <laughs> they do. That's what they know me for. You know, I completely get it. And they and they pitch for two things. They, you know, they pitch for cash but they also pitch for advice. We've had emails in from people who have businesses that are up and running, but they're a bit worried about the climate at the moment. The landscape is not plain sailing just now. What's your sort of early stage business survival tactics? The fact is that the world is, you know, it, it is in a funny place. And I think that's that's actually forever. I think that, you know, the days of coming up with five and 10 years business plan have, have long gone because we our needs and our desires and the, you know, the world stage is changing much, much faster. So my advice to people is you've got to keep your head up. I think when you get into business, sometimes you can get your head down and just carry on doing what you're doing but you've got to sense the air you've got to see the mood that your consumer is in you know when we're talking about a cost of living crisis you need to be offering good value and you need to be able to explain why you are good value i always say a business has got a personality it's like a person you know you've got and and your consumer knows that personality and and you need to be having conversations that actually fit that personality so that they that they trust you um and when you talk about new things or, or talk about doing things in a slightly different way they'll get it Deborah Meaden there. I did manage to resist pitching a business to her. Uh, listening to that are today's experts. I'm joined by Vix Rod- uh, Rodwell, the Director of Membership at Ipsy, which is a membership club for self-employed people, and Richard Jones from the Institute of Chartered Accountants in England and Wales. Good afternoon. Hi. Good afternoon. Thank you very much. Now, Deborah has a lot of good advice on what makes a good business. I want to run through some of the practicalities of starting one. Vix, can you just explain the different types of self-employment? Yeah, sure. Um, So one of the classic ones that a lot of people start with is as a sole trader, um, where you can literally just get going. Not a lot of uh, paperwork around that. And then you might sort of decide that actually you want to um, set yourself up with a limited company, which then has sort of different practicalities from a tax point of view. Um, And you will sort of have to probably get yourself an accountant Mm. and different liabilities uh, with that one. And then occasionally some people now have to work through an umbrella as well, which is where an agency almost acts as your employer, and they will they will pay the money that you've been earned um, directly into your bank account. So there's sort of those three ways of the key ones. Thank you. Oh, we could spend a whole half an hour on umbrella companies, but we'll, we'll, we'll focus on this today. Um, Vix, there are around 4.2 million people in the UK who are classed as self-employed. That is still quite a long way below pre-pandemic levels, but you've done some research on this, showing people might be starting to feel a bit more confident about working for themselves again. 
Yeah, we are definitely starting to see a glimmer that it's returning to sort of the post-pandemic highs. Um, so, we, you know, in the last uh, year, we saw 106,000 people operating again as self-employed. Um, a lot of those, like you mentioned earlier, are coming in sort of in the over 50s. We saw sort of a 7% increase last year um, of people of that demographic going into self-employment. Um, and we're also seeing the trend of women choosing to be self-employed creeping up. So that was up another percent in the last 12 months, which sort of continues a long trend of uh, women choosing to be to work for themselves. Ah. Richard, what about the very beginning of a business? Who do you need to tell when you've started one and when do you need to tell them? Yeah, I think as Vix was uh, alluding to, there are a number of different ways that you can set up and that the... The route that you take will then determine um, who you need to tell. You always have to tell HMRC, um, and that, of course, will depend on you know if you're going to be registering for VAT, you'll need to register for that. Uh, if you're going to take on employees, you'll need to register for PAYE. And if you're a sole trader, you'll be basically registering for self-assessment if you if you're not already, mm. and then you'll need to let. And you can do this at the same time if you're registering, letting HMRC know that you've started a business. Um, if you're starting a company slightly different, uh, you, you have to go through uh, what's called Companies House, which is a government body uh, based in Cardiff. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to register the company there. And to some extent, they will then let HMRC know about the company and they'll come knocking and asking you what it's going to be doing and and, and all those sort of questions. OK, mm. and we will be talking about tax later on mm. in the programme. All that to look forward to. Um, but first of all, is it uh, briefly, is it important to start saving tax as soon as you do start up? I think it's, it's, it's important to bear in mind what your tax liabilities could be in advance. That can be difficult because you might not know what profit you're going to make. Even mm. You might not even make a profit. But I think rather than you know just allowing the income coming in and then spending it, you know, setting aside 20% or whatever it is, whatever tax rate is applicable, um, you know, maybe even in a separate account so you don't spend it so that when that time does come around, you've got it available to you. A lot of businesses really fall foul of that and then find they don't have the liquidity to actually pay their tax bill. Thank you. Right, let's hear from someone who is struggling to get their product off the ground, even though they know there's demand. Ali founded Ease Twist, and I spoke to her before we came on air. I had a light bulb moment battling with my children's pushchair straps. So I have developed a brand new strap adjustment system. Pushchair straps are an absolute nightmare sometimes. You're always in a hurry with a baby in your arm. Um, so in terms of your product then, do you have customers ready to buy? We absolutely do, yes. I suppose this is the frustrating thing. Because every stage costs money, it's just constantly chicken and egg. The end market pool doesn't want to take the risk in investing until the product is ready. But the entrepreneur can't make the product ready until they have the investment. What about grants or maybe putting it out to crowdfunding? On paper, it always seems so simple to just go and get a grant or put your name out there and and get a load of backing. But when you're the sole person running your business, it's almost impossible. But I will not give up. (laughs) Ali there, the founder of Ease Twist. Uh, Vix, this is really a chicken and egg standoff, isn't it? Ali can't get the customers (laughs) without the product. She can't get funding for the product without the customers. What can she do? 
it, it's a really tricky one and I think it's so so common with so many people across the UK because we, we are a nation of entrepreneurs and I think we do it very well I mean I think it's almost a case of maybe taking a step back and trying to decide exactly what kind of business she wants to be because the different types of funding and while I'm you know I'm not a funding expert um, and can't offer specific financial advice you know that there's there's different elements so a lot of people do start by asking family and friends whether they might want to to go in on you know to just sort of get that proof of concept I guess and then if it does do really well then you could potentially look at something like a bank loan and you've got that that proof of concept there mm. that will maybe give them some confidence. Richard, it can be really hard to separate your personal finances from the business risk if you're just starting out. Is there a way, if Ali did do that, if she did go to a bank loan to borrow money for her business, can she avoid putting her home and her possessions at risk? That Well, as we alluded to earlier, a company might be a good option for that because that means that the, com- the company is liable to its own debts rather than the individual. If not, as you say, it depends on the the terms of the loan, but but if if security is required, for example, you know over the house, then that is a significant risk. Um, obviously, having an asset like that is really helpful. Um, not all of us have that, but you know, having um, a sort of a corporate wrapper can help you with that kind of situation. Okay, let's take a call. Let's speak to Alison now, who's launched a kids' sleepover party business, Eat, Sleep, Dream, Repeat. Alison, good afternoon. Hi, Felicity. What then does your business do? What's a sleepover party business? So we basically just turn up, we create with little tents and mattresses and beautiful decor. We create a themed uh, sleepover party and then come back the next day and take it all away. So you don't stay and supervise the kids because that's the worst bit. Goodness, no. (laughs) (laughs) Is this a side hustle for you or a full time job? It is a side hustle. My main source of income is freelance writing and my other side hustles, like being a podcaster and an Instagram creator. Um, but I just really felt like when the pandemic hit and the cost of living crisis, it meant that my income as a creator working with big brands on creating content, it plummeted. Mm. And I just needed something a bit more solid to rely upon. What have you found hard then about this particular business? I think for me, it's been working out pricing. Um, I kind of looked around at what competitors were charging and I found that it ranged from starting at £40 up to £180. Um, and we kind of decided to position ourselves near the top end. But interestingly, like uh, what Deborah Meaden was saying earlier about adding value, we've kind of gone expensive, but we're always adding value to customers and giving them a bit extra than perhaps our competitors are offering. How have you found dealing with the public if, if previously you'd been dealing with those big corporations and sponsors and things? It's such a, it's honestly, it's, it's been such a challenge because I'm so used to kind of being quite hard nosed about money and negotiating and dealing with, you know, big brands who've got big budgets. And now we're dealing with real people come, you know, coming into their homes, um, you know, dealing with any issues that they might have. And yeah, it, I've had to really adjust how I'm dealing with my customers. It's been a really interesting learning curve. I bet. What about in terms of your product? I mean, if you're setting up a sort of a nice room for kids to have a sleepover in, is there a risk that parents, if there was another downturn, parents might think, well, I'll just do that myself? I mean, absolutely. That's always the risk with any of this sort of thing. But we kind of took a bit of a judgment call on it that 
birthdays are, I mean, and it is usually birthdays that we're booked for. That is something that so many parents will always put money aside for. They will always budget. They want to create a special magical moment for their, their child's birthday. So we're kind of banking on that continuing. When you say banking on it, what kind of state are you in now? Are you making a profit? We're not making a profit. We invested, it, it cost us about £5,000 to set up. Um, and we've been going for about six months and we've got a gross income of about 3500 So we're not far off, um, you know, making back what we have, have initially spent. Um, and obviously there are running costs, but they're very minimal compared to most companies. Stay with us. I want to bring our, our experts in on this. Vix, Alison makes a really interesting point, doesn't she? Selling directly to the public. That is a whole new set of skills. Oh, definitely. And I, I think it's very common as well for people that have sort of gone from, you know, a, a career in, you know, an agency or whatever, where it's different budgets to actually real individuals. But I think what she said about pricing, you know, it's interesting. It's something you've, you've really got to hold firm, I guess, if you truly believe that you're being you're priced correctly for the service that you're offering. Um, you know, it, it is all about that value. You know, you should believe in your product. And, you know, be confident in sort of saying, actually, this this is everything that we're bringing to the table and this does cost money. And I, I suppose with this type of business, you're, you're removing a lot of stress from parents who, again, probably work full time. So actually, it's quite an appealing concept to be able to have somebody come in, take care of it. The kids have the best time ever or talk about it to their friends. And then, um, I mean, hopefully then you get a lot of repeat business from the the other mums or dads in the school. But, yeah, I think just believe in, in your business, which it sounds like you do. Um, and, you know, test your pricing. You know, you, you'll soon find people will push back if you genuinely are priced too high. Mm. Alison, now you've been through this business launch, what would you do differently? Have you learned any lessons? Oh, goodness. That's such a good question. Um, I would say to uh, perhaps not try to run before we can walk. I was really keen to buy bell tents and offer picnics and kind of expand really quickly because I could see other people doing the same. And actually now I can see there's value in starting small, getting really good at you know your core offering and then expanding. Alison, thank you very much for telling us about your business. Right, we mentioned at the beginning of the programme that the over 50s are driving that gradual increase in the number of self-employed people. There were almost 90,000 more self-employed people that age last year compared to 2020. Lisa is one of them. She's 53. She's emailed to say she set up a business last September selling gift hampers online. She says, I'm currently working on stock for Valentine's, Mother's Day and Easter. Previous history is mainly sales but juggling home life kids etc too much for a full-time job and this is really interesting lisa says the normal employment roles don't respect my talents so it was time to do something on my own vix that's lisa's experience what do you see as driving this trend in the over 50s starting businesses yeah, I think we're seeing sort of two different uh, reasons for people kind of going into it. One is slightly that, you know, getting a little bit sick of the workplace, perhaps, you know, the, it isn't working with their lifestyle or perhaps they were made redundant. Um, there's, there's definitely an element of ageism in recruitment that has seen a number of over 50 people start working for themselves because they, they get fed the line that they've got too much experience, which is strange. But, you know, the plus side is they can take that experience and do it for themselves. Mm. Um, but then we are seeing 
other people as well that perhaps they've kind of hit that point in their life where they're genuinely confident about who they are and what they can offer. They might be sort of slightly more financially secure. They could have good equity in their home. Their children might have grown up and gone to university or whatever. And they, they feel now's the time actually to be confident in who they are and what they're offering and take that leap into self-employment. So if that's why the over 50s might be keen to start their own businesses, what about later generations? What about millennials and, and Gen Z facing higher rent and mortgage costs, maybe higher interest rates on business loans than their parents did? Does that mean they've got less ability to take risks? Uh Yes and no, I'm sure. I mean, there's there's definitely a lot of um, sort of university leavers at the minute that actually don't see a PAY career as an option for them. And like Deborah mentioned, that they they almost do have less risk in a way. So they they just sort of start freelancing from day one, even whilst they're still at university, and they just sort of go for it. They've got that confidence and that belief in themselves. And perhaps because the internet has so much information readily available, they they can just do it. And they, they learn as they go. I mean, yes, absolutely. There's, there's huge issues with uh, getting a mortgage and, you know, saving for a rainy day. But the, the, there does seem to be an element of they, they live a lot more in, in the moment, which, you know, it, it isn't, there's no right or wrong for okay. that. Well, whatever age you are, if you start a small business, if you go self-employed, it is a risk. There are no guarantees it will work, which is what this next listener found out. I'm Money Books Live. I'm Sarah. And I was self-employed for many years. Gradually, I saw my self-employment earnings going down um, until in the last years, I was earning about £16,000 a year, one six. So I actually changed career completely and went into the trade compliance field. And for the past two years, I've had a full-time job that pays quite well. So I would say it is actually quite difficult and challenging to be self-employed, no matter how many years you've done it for. Sarah, thanks a lot for sending us that. Vix, this is a really important point, isn't it? There are no guarantees of success. No, and I'm, I'm sorry that she's sort of had that experience. But yeah, unfortunately, you know, it, it is one of those career choices that come with as many sort of positives as negatives. And, you know, as we saw with the pandemic, a lot of people who worked in self-employment, their careers dried up overnight. And some of them were man- managed to pivot their business and sort of scrape by an income and it's never quite recovered. Um, others actually you know, succeeded off the back of it. But it, it is one of those um, careers where I think you almost need to be looking two steps ahead. So if you've got a, a business that's currently working for you, it's, you might want to test other sort of streams or verticals um, in your spare time as well. So if you do see that mm. one element is starting to dry up, you might perhaps be able to sort of jump on a new opportunity mm. or, you know, change your direction completely. Richard, briefly, how easy is it to close your business if you decide it's not right for you? If you're a sole trader, it's relatively straightforward. I think one thing I would question is, is actually, do you need to close it down or could you sell it? Is there a value within that uh, business that isn't related to you that you could actually put, put out to market? Maybe if, you're, if you've got employees, maybe they would take it over. But if you do want to just close down and as a sole trader, essentially all you really have to do is tell the people that you do business with, you know, your suppliers the people, your customers, you know, close down your website, um, let HMRC know and pay any final liabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, as a company, it's, it's more difficult. And that's perhaps one of the reasons why a lot of smaller businesses might not incorporate because they can see the hassle that might be involved in winding up. OK, Richard, thank you. Um, we've also had this voice note. Hello, Moneybox, this is Martin. I'm interested to know whether there is any 
assistance available to sole traders, either with their rent or um, with loss of income due to them having to have medical treatment and operation and possibly convalescence thereafter. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Vix, this is the other type of risk, isn't there? Is there anything or are you just on your own? Uh, well, not to do a shameless plug of Ipsy, but we do actually <laughs> offer insurances which uh, cover th- those circumstances. So, yeah, it's right. If um, you're a sole trader and you're not uh, working for whatever reason, you, you are without income. So we, we do offer protection against that, um, that, you know, if you can't work for a few weeks or more, there's some money will come in that essentially makes sure your rent is covered. And I feel compelled to say that other insurers are Absolutely. available. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think you should end the pro always end the programme on a high so let's talk tax Uh, (laughs) thank you that is the laugh I was hoping for Um, today is the final day to get your self-assessment tax return done and we know that millions of people do leave it right to the last minute not me I am much more responsible than that I did mine on Monday Um, but if you still have to finish your return don't panic we are going to answer some of the key questions right now or I say we I mean Richard Mm -hmm. you are about to answer some of the key (laughs) questions right now in a sort of quick fire round specialist subject absolutely Mm -hmm. What is the tax return question you get asked the most? Oh, blimey. Um, (laughs) I think probably it's around, am I trading? So, you know, the the people that start things with a hobby and Mm. then it turns into something a bit more than that. There's quite a lot there around, you know, what's the point at which actually that becomes a taxable activity? Okay, we've had an email from Sarah who says, I've just realised I should submit a self-assessment for the first time and I don't have all the details that I need to be able to submit in time. How can I let HMRC know I'm on the case? I realise now I may have to pay a fine. Sarah, sympathy. Yeah, uh, there is a self-assessment helpline um, if you have the patience to to wait. To, it's probably um, quite busy today, yes, Richard. it could be. Um I think it's a good thing, as it is in life, right, just to let people know <laughs> that you're on the case. It is a case that if she's filing late, then she'll get a £100 filing penalty. But, um, you know, the, the more you can let HMRC know that, that you're going to be doing things, you're going to be paying, the, the more that they will, they'll make a note of that. Mm. I think that's just generally good advice. And she can pay her tax now, even without, you know, if she knows how much she needs to pay, she can pay it without filing the return. Well, she needs to be registered for self-assessment, so... Um, oh, she does. She yeah, does, so she needs to register as well. Yes, in order to be able to have an account to be able to pay. So it's a little bit chicken and egg, as you say. Sarah, but, uh, best mm, of luck with that. Yes. Um, one thing that might catch a few people out is the, the new HMRC rule change when it comes to reporting profits. That's come in this year, and it's all to do with the time you draw up your accounts. Can you explain what's changed and what it might mean for anyone who's affected? Yeah, this is mainly going to affect businesses that um, choose a different year end to the tax year. And what I'm talking, I'll go straight to the point, people mm. like farmers, people in agriculture, seasonal businesses where, you know, you might be busy around Easter, e.g. the end of the tax year. Um, and some businesses that are international, so they have to follow whatever their parent follows. Um Essentially, rather than uh, calculating one set of accounts per tax year, you're going to have to end up doing two. Um, so you might end up with a bigger them. bill as well. Well, it shouldn't be a bigger bill. It's just more hassle calculating it. Um, so what HMRC are trying to encourage people to do is to move their year end to the tax year end, which then will solve the problem for you. But um, not everybody is 
you know, it's, it'll it's make it easier in the future. Uh, yeah. Really, really briefly, if you can, Richard, what mm. if you've made a mistake in your savings, your tax bill's bigger than expected? What can you do in a sentence? If your tax were bigger than expected. And if, yes, if you don't have uh, if you don't have any enough cash, perhaps sitting mm-hmm. in your accounts, what can you do? Uh, phone HMRC trying to get a time to pay. Um, I think that's the best option. And, uh, you know, say that you're going to pay something and then they will set up a payment plan for you. That's by far and away the best way to deal with that issue. So get in touch with HMRC. It's mm. always the best advice. Yes, definitely. Fantastic. Thank you. Right. I think we have taken care of business for today. Huge thanks to everybody who's been in touch. And thank you, as always, to our experts. We've been hearing from Vix Rodwell from Ipsy and Richard Jones from the Institute of Chartered Accountants in England and Wales. And, of course, from Deborah Meaden. If you want to get in touch with me or the team here, about any money story then you can email the address is moneybox at bbc.co.uk please do include a phone number if you can in this podcast the producer was sarah rogers production coordinator sandra hardiel studio manager becky marcus our editor is jess quayle i'm felicity hannah and this was a bbc news money and work production for bbc sounds 30 years ago britain's farms were hit by an epidemic of an infectious brain disorder they called it mad cow disease I'm Lucy Proctor, and in The Cows Are Mad from BBC Radio 4, I tell the story of a very weird time in our history. The media started calling me the mad cow professor. Mad cow disease rampaged through Britain, first killing cows and then humans. And the thing is, after all this time, nobody knows for sure where mad cow disease originally came from. The general feeling is that we will never know the answer. Subscribe to The Cows Are Mad on BBC Sounds.